whenever they sing it, I always think of Easter. And I know we're in the Easter neighborhood real, real quick here. But that song is just to sing about his resurrection and his life and what he's done. I, almost, almost every week, it should be about those things right there, man. So amen. Yeah. Hey, um, why don't you, with that heart and just what God's doing, go ahead and take a seat right now. And we'll get ready and jump into the teaching here real quick. Um, I do have to do this, and I apologize. It'll be the last weekend that I do it. I promise. I've got to make two announcements that um, once a year um, I have to do this, and it's part of fulfilling what my duty is as pastor, and it has to do with our annual business meeting. According to our Constitution and bylaws, I have to announce it twice at the weekend meetings before the meeting, and then if there's any special um, like amendments or anything like that, I have to talk about them real quick. So I apologize for taking it from uh, the teaching time to do it, but I'm required uh, to do it, and it'll be the last weekend. So this Wednesday, uh, the 27th at 7 o'clock here at Lone Tree, we'll have the annual business meeting. Um, The annual business meeting is just simply looking at the past year. I kind of do a state of the church. Uh, We produce a financial report that will be all the monthly reports into one report. Um, By the way, you don't have to come to the meeting in order to get that information. Uh, We'll give it out this Wednesday, and then it'll be available in the foyers at both campuses um, until they're gone. And then I suppose if you want one after that, uh, actually, it'll be on the website, too. So there'll be a digital copy and there'll be hard copies uh, in both places. So if you just want to see, like, uh, what came in, what went out, how it was spent, which if I was going to go to a church, those are the things that I would definitely would want to know about. uh, Please pick that up and look it over. And if you have any questions, we'd be happy to answer it for you. There is um, one amendment, a proposed amendment to the Constitution that uh, I want to make. And so I need to read the way that it is right now and then read what the amendment is or the proposed amendment is. So currently it reads, any real property shall not be purchased, sold, or otherwise alienated by the body without authorization of at least a two-thirds majority vote of the active voting membership present at any regular are specially called business meeting. Here's the proposal. Any real property shall not be purchased, sold, or otherwise alienated by the body without authorization of the majority of the board of Jubilee Fellowship Church in any regularly special called uh, board meeting. And so the difference between the two is this, that the board, which is made up of members of the body who are elected by you, act on your behalf at the monthly board meeting. We have this extra step that after they do all of that, in order to buy or sell anything, we have to bring it back into the congregation for a vote. And it's an extra step that just, quite honestly, it's not the way church government is done. It puts an extra burden on us to be able to operate in a way that, like you're hearing about it, um, and I'm trying to explain it in a five-minute way that doesn't do justice to the months that have been worked behind the scenes with the people who represent you on the board. And so we feel like expedience and the ability uh, to just to, to not have that extra step, it's a difficult step, it would work better to do it this way right here. So by the way, where did our Constitution and bylaws come from? When I started the church, I'm the one who adopted these things initially. There was no one else, and so I put the Constitution and bylaws together. It's 21 years ago, it was a great idea, but the practical working of it, if I knew you know, then what I know now, I wouldn't have ever put it in in the first place, to be honest with you. I would have done it where it allowed for it to be represented by the board. So that's the, uh, the nature of it. If you have any questions about it, then Wednesday at 7, 
we're going to talk about it, and uh, we'll go from there. So that would, that, would, uh, that would be it for that. And the only other thing that I have, and it'll be the last weekend that I do it, for years and years and years, I have felt um, the desire, the need to have some type of support group for addiction recovery in our church. But just starting one um, is not the way to go. The people that lead that group need to be qualified to lead that group. So I've got a person in our church uh, who has her master's degree in counseling. She's a licensed counselor and has been uh, doing that for the past 10 years. And then this, this caveat, right? Uh, God has delivered her from um, the bondage of alcohol and drugs. And so she's qualified on the practical side, but she's very much qualified on the educational side. And so starting April 2nd, if you or someone that you know could benefit from this group, we want to offer this group. Now, you know, when you talk about uh, addiction recovery, most people always go immediately to alcohol or drugs. But you recognize, man, we live in a, in a world today where there are just so many different addictions that people deal with. And it can be, um, it can be eating addictions. It can be sexual addictions. It can be different kind of financial things that just are compulsive. This group is to cover all of those things. It's not a wide open group that, uh, you know, whosoever will may come. Uh, we don't feel like it could be done that way. It needs to be kept um, a little more organized, a little smaller. And we also want to do it where, um, where it's, uh, there, there's some anonymity to it is, is probably the best way to say it. So the way you would sign up for it is different than how you would sign up for any other group or activity that we offer. So if you have a pen and you know someone that would benefit, you might want to write this down because the sign-up's a little bit different. So if you or someone you know could benefit from this group. And by the way, it's not just limited to our church. We want to offer it to our community too. So maybe maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a, a friend at work, something like that. Uh, the way you would sign up would be this email, dmarcus, one word, d-m-a-r-c-u-s, at jfc.org. So Deb Marcus is one of our counselors on staff, and she's actually, her ministry is going to oversee this ministry and then the person who is leading it for us so you would sign up through deb deb's kind of the intake person so dmarcus at jfc.org and uh, that will start again april 2nd which i think what is that a week and a half from right now so pretty quickly here and we just want to let you know about it and if you have any questions uh, let us know be happy to answer you'll need a pen or a pencil for the notes today uh, while you get those ready let me jump in and tell you where this series comes from we're in the second week of a new series that we just started last week obviously uh, the series is called what about and then each week we'll fill in what the what about is going to be it came from this in January I taught a one-off message on shame and I've been for a long time wanting to teach that finally found a place for it I probably should have done a series on it because it's worthy how, how do you deal with shame in you know 45 minutes and then it's it's over and done obviously it's you scratch the surface you pique someone's interest um, and here's how I know that it, it piqued interest when we when we wrote the message what we thought was it's an action message it's not just to teach people about shame what shame is but how do you get free from shame and here's the truth of the matter I believe this do you believe this that Jesus uh, ended up being shamed so that you and I never have to be shamed he took it upon himself on the cross. He was shamed publicly so that you and I don't have to be shamed. And anytime shame enters back into our life as believers, right? Any, anytime that thing won't let you go, the enemy's having a field day with you. He, he has found a grip on your life. So how do we get free from that was the nature of it. So I had pre-cut paper. 
put them on the seats, and I said, uh, keep it anonymous, but that thing that just won't let you go, write it down. And in effect, I had that wall built in the back by the exit. And I said, when you leave, put it in these little cubby holes right here and leave it here. Jesus dealt with it. Don't, don't take it with you and deal with it anymore. Leave it here. So we're overwhelmed. Well over a thousand different cards had come in of people writing, um, imagine, imagine. It was a form of confession is what it was. So we took the cards, go back to the office. Um, the, the, the purpose ultimately with the cards was not to use it to ever talk about the individual things, but it, it was a unique opportunity in that I took all of these cards, I grouped them into five different what I thought were roots of, of what was going on here. And I thought there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, a good shepherd knows the condition of his flocks because he knows what to feed them. And I thought, what an opportunity to talk on things that as a whole, my church is saying, hey, we're dealing with these things. Put them, instead of just the individual, but put them in, what are the root causes of these things? That's the what about. So this weekend, real quick, what about mental health? And you might sit there and think, man, does that even belong in church? Uh, let me... <laughs> Let me, let me do a demonstration for you here real quick. I brought this tripod. Um, so here, here's what I believe to be true and have tried to teach. Uh, you're made up of three parts. You have a mind, you have a spirit, and you have a body. Very, it's not a trick question. So, yeah, yeah. It's really like, huh. Uh, mind, spirit, and body. Okay, just real quick, think about this. God created you that way, and all three have to be working right in order for your life to be balanced. And if one of the three get messed up, real quick, so uh, if we're talking about the mind today, if the mind gets taken out, how do the other two stand? There's no ability for your life to be built. The same thing would be true for your spirit. If your spirit ends up being vexed and in a bad place, does it affect you emotionally? Uh, if if uh, emotionally you're plagued with stress and strife and anxiety, how do you feel physically? All of them interplay with each other. And so in this message right here, the reason that I thought it was so important, so many of the cards that I got back when I grouped them into uh, these categories, so many people were dealing with anxiety and so many people were dealing with depression. And, and honestly, quite a few people had written things down like, I, I, I don't even know if I want to live. I mean, you know the enemy has gotten a hold of, of believers when believers don't see the value in themselves or in life. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? And so what an opportunity then to take those messages and to teach all this. So it's what about mental health, the mind, spirit, and body connection. In particular, I'm going to talk about the mind today. And I put uh, in my notes, I'm not sure if it's in your notes, I thought rather than just teach on it from like, hey, um, if you're dealing with this, here, here's the things that you could be going through. So I'm just going to confess to you, there have been times in my life I have dealt with anxiety and I have dealt with depression. And you're like, is that okay for a pastor to say that right there? So like, um, you know, it's like the hidden thing in church that no one wants to ever talk about either. And so, somewhat there's shame with it because as believers, are we even supposed to ever feel that way? Are believers ever supposed to have any type of depression? Are believers ever supposed to have anxiety? I guess technically, if you are walking in this great place with God and, and he's influencing your life, I, I think, yeah, the chances that you, you overcome those things are better, but we all deal with it at a certain level. Do you agree? Yes, so um, I, 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 there's a study that, um, that caught my eye, 
and it was interesting uh, for, for these three reasons. One, it was a Harvard study, and I think Harvard is a tremendous university. There's some things that I would disagree, but I think overall, man, try to get into Harvard and find out. Uh, Harvard is a tremendous university. There's a study that Harvard did that has lasted 80 years, and it, it's unlike any other study I've ever seen in just the length of it. Most studies run out of funding after three to five years. And if they do have the opportunity to go longer than that, the person that's directing the study, can you imagine, this study has had four different directors in order to take it through 80 years. It actually started in 1938 with a group of teenagers. Uh, those men have been studied through uh, all the way up until this, this past year. 620 began the program. There are 60 of them still alive. Now they've studied their children and their children's children, their wives. It, what, what an overall look at life. And here was what the study was about. It was on happiness. What makes us happy? And you know, most books that are written about that, really when we ask a person what makes you happy, most people are just pulling back on their own experience over the past few years. Here's what made me happy. But to have something that's 80 years in length, and especially if it corroborates what the Bible says, how powerful is that right there? And so I enjoyed reading about the study, and the message today is not to teach on that in particular, but there was a pie chart that came out of the study that I thought was real interesting, and I just want to use it today to get into this, you know, what about mental health real quickly. So here's what this study said. When it comes to your happiness, your overall life, uh, it came up first and foremost that 40% of who you are as a person is predetermined with your birth. Meaning that your DNA makes up a lot of your personality right off the bat. So, like, I think this is true. If you are, um, if you're a pessimistic or an optimistic, probably you were never taught to be either of those things. Probably your personality gave itself to a certain level of those things. Those of you who have had children, can you think real quickly? Did your children were some of them optimist and some of them more pessimist? So, forty percent of who you are is not chosen. It just simply is. It is what it is. It's a fixed level, and that would mean this: if forty percent of your happiness is not chosen, then forty percent of any depression is not chosen either. It just simply is there, and you're going to deal with those things. And that look—it's a fallen world. It's not the world that God intended or created. Adam and Eve had their choices. It, it shows up in free will. And the Bible says that we all have sinned and gone our own way. We end up with a fallen world, and there are things that happen in a fallen world outside of our control. Do you agree? Yes. It does happen. So, forty percent, just right off the bat, this is this is just like. Uh, this is, this is just part of life. This 10% right here, life event, when it comes to the idea of being happy, uh, here's what they said, that 10% of life, uh, when it comes to your happiness, is a life event, 10%. And that life event would be something like this. If I could get this job, I would be happy. If I could get this raise, I would be happy. How about this? If I could marry that person, I would be happy. But how about this? You realize that uh, a few years later, you can say, if I could just get away from that person, I would be very happy. If I could get out of this job, I would be very, if I could move to that city, I would be very happy. And so their point simply was this, that 10% of happiness is based on a life event. But how about this? We spend 90% of our time trying to make the 10% happen, yes or no? We think if I can get that thing, and any person in this room with experience in life can tell you those things, they, they can give you a bump in life, but they're not the thing that makes you happiest in life. And then the only other thing I just want to show you real quick, and this is really where the message is going to go today, 50% of happiness and 50% of how your life turns out is intentional activity. 
40% may be genetic, that you're going to deal with a certain predisposition. 10% might be life event. But 50% of how your life goes is based on intentional activity, what you do with what you've got, so that you don't have to be a victim. You don't have to be a person who just goes, man, if I'd have gotten a better break or if I'd have gone to a different school or if I'd have had a different opportunity, my life could have turned out better. The power of the gospel doesn't change your past. It can change the future. It can alter what God has for you and where you're going. So that's the nature of the message right here. I want to talk about what you can do. One of my favorite pastors is Rick Warren. Do you know that name? Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, New York Times bestseller from a believer's standpoint. Powerful book. What I like about Rick Warren, if you ever go and, and, and see what he's done, he's in Southern California, his church is amazing. I think as a pastor, like if you, if you own um, a, a particular kind of business or you're in a particular kind of business, when you see someone else who's done really well in that business, you admire what they've done. Yes. So from one pastor to another, I look at the level this guy has, has, has uh, achieved in life. And I think to myself, that only God can do those kind of things right there. It's amazing. But Rick Warren had this thing, and here's what I respect about him. He's very real. He's very genuine. Uh, he's very transparent when he teaches. Uh, Rick Warren's son, his oldest son, three years ago committed suicide. And he had had uh, emotional problems growing up. And Rick said he was always afraid to talk about that because almost it was, uh, it was, an it was a shameful thing. Here, here this, this very prestigious pastor who has done so much and changed so many other lives, can't see it happen in his own family. Does that make any sense? And so he lived with this guilt and the shame, and his son struggled and struggled and struggled. So he would stand up and teach the power in Jesus' name and how that Jesus can set us free and that deliverance is for today. And then his own son struggled. Jerry, to the point that he, he took his own life, man. And Rick... He, he took about a two-month sabbatical, but when he came back from the sabbatical, he, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this now to harm the enemy. Yes. I'm not going to let the enemy put me in shame and keep it hidden. So he used it as a point to say, if you or anyone in your family ever struggles, and then he talked about what the struggle is, seek help. Don't stay stuck. This is not what God, it's that 50% what you can do. But Rick Warren said this when it came to emotional well-being, and I respected this sentence. And Jake, Pastor Jake, reminded me this week that Rick had said this, and I thought I would just read it to you real quick because it talks about what we can do with, with what's going on. Rick said this, uh, if your work is cerebral, so for those of you who work with your mind, you're a teacher uh, or, or uh, maybe a, a person who sits at a desk and has to uh, analyze. Uh, maybe you work in the sciences uh, maybe you're a doctor. You work with your mind a lot. Listen to this right here. If your work is mostly cerebral, your off time should be mostly physical. And if your work is physical, then your off time should be cerebral so that you balance your life out. That's a brilliant statement right there. And most of us do what we do at work is sort of what we do at home. If we sit, we sit. Nobody sits. Wow, that's... <laughs> Okay, you got your pen or your pencil. Let's do this right here. Let me give you the two things that I think you can do when it comes to the idea of dealing uh, with mental health. Um, Jesus said it was for freedom that he set us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So talking about anxiety and depression, perhaps 40% uh, is, is genetic 
and, and maybe you will deal with that tension. Maybe it's not a problem that you solve, but a tension that you'll manage. And 10% is life event, but 50% of how your life goes and whether or not you're a happy person and whether or not you feel fulfilled is going to be based on what you do, the response that you have to it, the, the, the application that you put in place. So these two things, I, I feel like they've worked really well for me in having to deal from time to time with anxiety and, and with depression trying to sneak its way in. So these two things. The first one is just simply this. Renovate your mind. And the words are important. They're not uh, semantics here. I choose the word renovate. Uh, Romans 12, 2. When Paul is teaching people uh, about the battle for the mind, real quick too. The battle for your life is fought right here. It's not fought here, and it's not fought over there. The battle for your life is fought in this six-inch space right here. And whoever controls this controls you. Not only do they, this controls the trajectory that your life will go on. It controls how you see life, how you pray, uh, how, how you treat other people, and how you interact. The battle for your life is going to be fought right here. This is hugely important. To minimize this, I think in, in church, we pay attention to, to our spiritual lives for sure. That's why you're here today. And we certainly live in a culture today that very much pays attention to the physical part of life. Do you agree? Yeah. But man, that emotional, that mental part seems especially in with believers. It seems to be that neglected area. Almost hidden and almost like... Is it worthy? And your life is built on those three things to pull one out or to, to, uh, to neglect one. It's, it's just, it's so damaging. So renovate your mind. Romans 12, 2, Paul says this. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God, what does it say? Let's do it together. Let God, you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Once he does that, you will learn to know God's will for you. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Those three things are always true. God's will for your life is good, pleasing, and perfect. That doesn't mean easy, and that doesn't always mean gentle, and it doesn't mean that's the way that you would do it. But God is good, and God's will for your life is good, pleasing, and perfect. And when your mind is renovated, renewed, then you're able to know God's will, and you're able to think this way and this is real important. Is it possible for a person to be a Christ follower, to love Jesus, but not have a renewed mind? Yes. Are you unsure on that? I'll, it is possible because Paul is taking believe, he's talking to believers and telling believers who love Jesus, you need to have a renewed mind. So it is possible to love Jesus and not have a renewed mind. And the power of renewed mind is that you then, man, you're able to think correctly. You're able to overcome. You're not stuck. That 40% does not then end up dominating your life. So, so what is renovation real quickly? Uh, any person in this room ever gone through the joy of renovating your house? Let me raise your hand. So look, most of them are shaking like, <laughs> like this. Um, <laughs> Renovation is that, uh, that great thing that um, the difference between redecoration and renovation. Redecoration, when I first started in ministry, 
I was a junior high pastor. Can you imagine? I spent three years in jail <laughs> with junior hires, junior high boys in particular. We would do these camps and retreats, and this would happen. These boys would play. Man, they would play. They would wake up early. They want to play football. They want to wrestle. They'd want to do all the activities. They'd squirm through any meetings, just you know, on and on and on. And then at the nighttime, rather than shower, they would take Axe body spray <laughs> and just all over themselves. So you had this um, potent potion of junior high boy and Axe body spray. And it was, I mean, looking at, I wish you could see what I see because you, if you've raised boys, you know exactly what that smell is like. And, and so to redecorate is this. It's to cover over the yuck, which doesn't fix the problem. So when the Bible talks about letting your mind be changed, renewed, it literally translated, listen, is renovation, not redecoration. Renovation is difficult. So for those that have been around, uh, I had a heart attack about three years ago. Um, out of the blue, it hits me, no warning, and I have this, this heart attack while I'm standing in the pulpit, no less. Um, two weeks later, we started a renovation on our house. So while I'm trying to recuperate, they're doing a renovation in our house. We are not always the smartest <laughs> people. The renovation, here's what I know about a renovation. Renovations aren't done in two or three days. To do it right, there's the demolition, and then there's the construction. Now, the end product is awesome, man. You are so grateful you did it. We bought our house 20 years ago, and after 20 years, I mean, it was new when we first bought it, but after 20 years, we raised five children in it. Um, how much has changed in 20 years just with decorations? You know, all of our, uh, the, the faucets and everything were that gold color that was super popular in the 90s but not so much now. So the renovation was not this little thing where they could come in and paint a couple of cabinets. All the old had to go out, and then all the new had to be put in. It's worth it at the end, but it's a pain in the middle. So let me just talk real quick um, how I got free from legalism. If you don't struggle with legalism, maybe you won't ever, um, maybe this won't mean anything to you. I, I was, I, I think that 40% part comes to play in this. I don't think anybody ever taught me legalism. I think I was born with an overdeveloped sense of right and wrong. I feel like the world's policeman. When I'm driving or when I'm in a line, I know what people should and should not be doing. Anybody else ever feel that? Thank you. Be real with me right now. So I never confront people, but I silently judge them. <laughs> So this overdeveloped, Chris has to constantly, constantly tell me. She could tell. She'd be like, John, you're not the world's policeman. You're not the world's jury. You're not the world's judge. Just let these things go. Life would be so much nicer if you just, for all of us, John, not for just you, but for all of us, it would be so much nicer if you let these things go. So I think that, um, I think I was born with this overdeveloped sense of right and wrong and justice. And then I'm a Catholic which did develop this great sense of guilt. Do this, do this, do this, and if you don't do this, can I? Hey, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. 
And then, listen to this. I go from Catholicism, that when I really come to know Jesus, it's in a small southern Pentecostal church. <laughs> so you talk about going from one brand of legalism to another. Uh, here was the difference. We were legalists, but we were louder as Pentecostals <laughs> than we were as Catholics. Have fun. All right, so I struggled with that. And it, it, the problem with it is that um, legalism makes you such a miserable person. So here I have this relationship with Jesus that is totally supposed to be based on joy in life. But in reality, it's really, in my mind, it's based on how much I can do for him. And feeling all the time like I'm failing. And so if you'd ask me technically, uh, are you saved uh, by faith and, and with God's grace? Yeah, for sure. But in my mind, I struggled all the time with measuring up, measuring up. And it put me in this place with God where I never felt like my worth to him was valued because of what he said about me, but valued on what I could do for him. And it was this sneaky thing. And here's the thing. It never stays contained just to your life as a pastor. Most of my messages at that time in my ministry were on trying harder, doing better, getting the sin out, which you can find some of those things in the Bible, but that's not what your relationship with Jesus should be built on. All right, so we're out of Colorado pastoring, and we want to come back to Denver. This is where my wife grew up. I lived most of my life here. We want to come back to Denver. And so an opportunity opens up for us to go to northern Colorado to a, a wonderful church there, but here's the problem. It's not in, I was, it was Assemblies of God. So I went from Catholicism to the Assemblies of God. The church is a non-denominational church in northern Colorado. And um, that was like one step before you go to hell would be to go to a non-denominational <laughs> church. And so I wrestled and I struggled like, God, how can I do this? We went to visit the church and the church had so much life in it. And I was coming from churches that had so much death and legalism and judgment in them. I, I, it was either, God, you've got to do this or I'm going to get out of the ministry because I can't keep going the way that I'm going. So I was at the end of myself. So I make this great decision. I go to this church. I'm there three months. They have a men's retreat. It's in Estes Park at the YMCA of the Rockies. Some of you might know where that's at. And the speaker is a man named Malcolm Smith, which may or may not mean anything to you. He's from England. He's probably the foremost teacher on grace. And a person who can teach grace really good, if you're a legalist, it'll make you so mad. It will make you so mad. So I'm sitting listening to this guy teach. It's in the middle of the retreat, and I am just furious. I can just, oh. So I get up. I pack all of my stuff in my room. I throw it in my Honda. I'm leaving the YMCA of the Rockies. At the bottom of the road are some beaver ponds. It's uh, March or April, so it's still cold up there. There's still some ice on the water. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck because I, I can't go back because I know the death in going back. But I can't go forward because I feel like I'm going to let go of my salvation and be in this crazy thing. And so I walk around these beaver ponds with these great big rocks, and I'm just throwing it through the ice, and I'm telling God how mad I am at him. How could you let this happen to me? How can my life end up in this place? I try so hard. What is going on? And all that happened is that God let me wear myself out throwing rocks. <laughs> and at the end of myself right there, I stood there, and I know this is what the Lord told me in my heart. So you have two choices, and it was literally like where I was in life was where I was physically in that moment. You can turn around and go back up the hill, and you're going up. Or you can drive down the hill, and you're going down. And I did not feel like God said, 
if you don't go the right way, I'm not going to be with you. I felt totally like he was going to be with me no matter what. But I knew, man, to keep going with that, to not let go of that thing that was killing me, that was plaguing my mind. But to go into this thing, what's going to happen? Okay, what happened? You go to a non-denominational church right now, so you know the end of the story. I got back in my car. I drove back up the hill. I put my stuff back. I went back in the meeting. Nobody even knew I was gone. Listen, here's, here's the point of what I'm trying to tell you. So I listened for the rest of that weekend, and I just kept telling God, I'm open to this. I'm open to this. God, you have to teach me. I don't, I don't know how to do these things. God, it's so foreign to me. God, uh, I, I want to be free. God, I, I want to I be rid of this anxiety. God, this low-grade depression that I'm just walking with for years, I want to be free of it. And it began God working in my life. Listen to this. It took three years for renovation to happen right here before I could stand up and do this in front of people to talk about God's grace. Three years of taking the old junk out. If I would have tried to just take some new teaching and lay it on top of a legalist foundation, I would have mixed pure with impure. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? You know what drove me crazy about this group of people that I found myself with? The only proof of their salvation was this great joy they had in their life. And that drove me crazy. Because <laughs> my proof was all the stuff I was doing. They were so happy and I was so miserable. But I was doing stuff. And they were enjoying. Oh, that made me so mad. What do you mean you're enjoying? That's not what it means to serve. Wait, wait, yes, it, but just got caught in betwixt. To renovate your minds. The old has to go so that the new can take place. When Paul taught about it, he said it's like trying to take new wine and pour it into old wineskins. When the wine expands, the skins can't contain it. You cannot take the new that God has for you and lay it over the old stuff. There must be renovation in your mind. This is what it means to be renewed. The word literally in the Greek is metamorphosis. It uses the picture of a butterfly coming out of the cocoon. But the idea is that he's, what he once was is no longer. He now is this new thing. That's what God calls you to. You're a new creation. You're not stuck with that old thing. Even that 40% that you're predispositioned to does not have to be the thing that you fall back into. Does that make sense? So I, I, I just wrote this. Um, I don't know how to explain this. I, please give me a little leeway with what I'm about to say. Just reading the Bible is not enough to renew your mind. So what people will do is they, there's a scripture in, in Ephesians that says that the, the word has a washing effect on our minds. And so people tend to think if I just read enough of the Bible, I can get rid of this old way of thinking. So the problem is that the way that you think is also conditioning the way you read the Bible. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus um, is, is giving the Sermon on the Mount powerful, powerful message. And right after that, he says this. L listen to the words. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of a Pharisee and a lawkeeper, you'll not make it to heaven. Though, think about those words for a moment. I mean, when you read the Bible, do you read it literally? The words of Jesus, unless your righteousness 
is better than a Pharisee or a lawkeeper's righteousness. You won't make it to heaven. When you're a legalist and your mind is in that realm, so here's what you'll read. Unless I do better than the people who are practicing keeping the law, I'm not going to get there. So you go out and you try harder, which only sets you up for more failure. Okay, follow me. Stay with me. Renovation in your mind. Um, 2 Corinthians says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When God renews your mind, here's what Jesus was trying to teach. Your righteousness is not better than any other person's righteousness. You'll never get to heaven by trying to be more righteous than your neighbor. You need a righteousness that's not like anyone else in humanity. And only one of us had a perfect righteousness. His name was? And Jesus will give you his righteousness in a relationship with him. So you're the righteousness of God in Christ. When your mind is renewed, you read that scripture from Matthew. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of a lawkeeper, you know automatically my righteousness does because it's not my righteousness. It's Jesus's righteousness. Now it changes the way you read the Bible and the way you see people and the way you pray and why you do what you do. It's not performance-based or, God, look, I'm trying hard. It comes from this great relationship of I'm already there. Everything else I do, I'm a Cajun. It's lanyap. It's extra. It's just the extra. It's the fun part that comes out of the relationship. Daily renewal. Um, so to have your house renovated in 1998, and now, we, how about 1999? So 20 years later, how much has changed in 20 years? So you could say, I, it was renovated, but all renovations become old too. Renovation in your mind is every day with Jesus, not one time at a church service, at a camp, at a Bible study, when I was reading a book, when somebody prayed for me. Renovation in your mind is in a day-to-day -day relationship with the Holy Spirit. God is not an appointment on Sundays. This should be the springboard, not the highlight. I'll get off of that because I'll, yeah, get on my soapbox there. All right. Um, let's, let's go to two and just, um, we'll cut for time here. So one is renovate your mind. Two, what you can do, what you can do. Rest your spirit. Uh, Psalms 23, probably one of the more well-known Bible verses. And here's the problem with it. It's been relegated mostly to funerals. And, and when David wrote it, he didn't write it with the idea this is going to be used at funerals. But it works out really good at funerals because it brings such comfort to people. But it's written for the day-to-day -day relationship that God wants with us and what he sees in us. So let me just read these 11 verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Say that with me. I have all that I need. Wouldn't it be great every day just to go, I have all that I need? Yes. And to really believe that. He lets me, what's the word? He lets me in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death. I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me. Think about this. In the presence of my enemies, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup 
overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. It's a powerful thing to say to someone who's experienced the loss of a loved one, but how much more powerful is it to know that that's how God thinks about you every day yeah. and that he offers you rest. Rest in our culture is almost synonymous with laziness. We are hard-working people. We don't take the breaks that are offered to us for the most part. We think the way to get ahead is to work, 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 work. And there is great truth in having a good work ethic. But look at me real quick. God is not about how much you can do for him. God is about a relationship where he calls you. Rest is a spiritual position. You should write that down. Rest is a spiritual position. It's a position of worship. It's a position of of being able to receive. It's a position when your mind is in its right mind, you can rest. And a person whose mind is not in the right place can't rest. They always have to be busy. They're striving is the word. Do you know that the Lord tells us to stop striving and to come into rest? When's the last time you rested? Rested. Spiritual renewal Restoration, spiritual renovation brings you into your right mind. Last week, if you didn't hear the message, I would encourage you, man, listen to the message. JFC.org. Everything we teach is on there, and you can listen to it anytime. But I tried to connect dots between uh, the Bible tells the story about the man who was just plagued by the demonic, so much so that when Jesus asked what the demons' names were, the demon answers legion because there's so many of us influencing this man's life. There's a powerful story, and I, I taught about that, but here, here's the connecting point, this, this one verse. The people went out to see what had happened after Jesus cast the demons out. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, these three things, sitting at Jesus' feet. Yes or no, that's a position of rest. Sitting at Jesus' feet, Dressed, So in other words, man, his dignity has been restored to him. And then this last part, he's in his right mind. Look at me. When you're at the place of rest in Christ, you're in your right mind. And so many of us today are so troubled and plagued, and we carry such burdens that God never designed you to carry. Go back to that heart attack thing real quick. I have a predisposition to heart trouble in my family, 40% maybe. But the 50% and the reason it happened at 52 was the way that I lived my life. Instead of resting, I added constantly to my schedule. You ever told yourself this lie? If I can just get through this, it's all going to slow down. And if the devil gets you in that place, he's a move ahead of you. I just added velocity and volume to my life thinking that what I'm doing is worthy things. It's one more thing. It'll be okay. And that's not a position of rest. And in fact, look at me real quick. I could never rest. I felt guilty when I was resting. If I stopped, I thought there was always the demand, the tyranny of the urgent, go do this, go do this, go do this. There's one more thing you need to get done. I felt rest in my mind was lazy. Thank you. 
because I feel very um, vulnerable right now telling this. And like, don't be a legalist and judge me like I do you. Uh, <laughs> Matthew uh, 11, 28 and 30. Look at, look at Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And then this part. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. These three things. Rest is a spiritual invitation. Come to me. That invitation is offered to you every day. Come to me. Come to me. We tend to think if this is what God wants, he'll come and get it from me. But the invitation is come to me. Hey, you have an invitation today. All invitations require either to accept it or reject it, don't they? What will you do with the invitation? Come to me. Come to me. If you are burdened in your mind and you are carrying things that you should not be carrying, if your life is weighed down, you know what's beautiful about that? He doesn't pre-qualify what it is to be burdened, does he? He doesn't say if it's spiritual issues or financial issues or physical issues or your children or your parents or your spouse. Steve, it's just, if you're heavy and you can't bear this anymore, come here. It's an invitation. The second part of it, man, is even better. Rest is a spiritual gift. Come to me and I will give you. When something is given, it's a gift. So we have an invitation and we have a gift. And then last, rest is a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. Come to me, all of you who are wearied, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Give to me what you're carrying and let me give you my yoke. It uses an old-fashioned word to any, anybody here that has any farming or maybe you learned about it in school. The yoke is the piece of equipment that holds horses together or holds cattle together. It keeps them moving in unison. And Jesus is just saying this. Instead of trying to do it all by yourself, come to me, let's yoke together. I'll carry the weight for you, and I'll keep you in the right place. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? Come to me. An invitation, a gift, and a lifestyle. And I'll just finish with this, and I'm, I'm, um, I got 20 seconds. Um, when I was studying from my childhood... Anybody else, is music ever a thing that when you hear a song, it can bring you right back to the place you were the last time you heard the song? Anybody? It's like a portal, isn't it? It's what makes, um, when, when God, when music has an anointing on it, that's what makes it so it can pull you. It's like a, a portal into the presence of God, but the enemy can use it too. It can be a portal into the, what you were doing the last time you heard that, that song. And when I was studying for the message, there was an old hymn that just kept coming through my mind, um, it is well with my soul. Anybody remember that? Uh, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It was written by a man in uh, the late 19th century. He was an industrialist and really well-to-do, and he had a wife and four daughters, and his business had just gone gangbusters, and they decided to take some time off and travel to Europe for a little while. 
And at that time, if you went to Europe, you went by boat. And the day that they were all set to leave, something goes terribly wrong in the business and he has to stay behind. So he puts his wife and his four daughters on the boat and they leave out of New York and they're heading to London and somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic in a fog, they ran into another ship. And within 16 minutes, the boat flooded and began to sink. And his wife grabbed the four daughters and brought them to the deck and prayed this prayer. So God, save us, but if not, reunite us. You get what she was praying? His four daughters drowned. When the rescue ship finally got there, all that was left was just the flotsam that's remaining behind. And a woman is clinging to a piece of wood, and they rescue her, and it's his wife. They bring her to England, and she sends a telegraph back to him, and it says, uh, I'm the only one saved. So, of course, man, he books passage on the next ship. And when he's out in the middle of the Atlantic, the captain calls him up and says it was about here that the ship sank. And he went down to his cabin, and to express his heart, he began to write, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my fate, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Any storm that you can say it is well, you're in your right mind. The storm, storm doesn't own you. You now are over the storm. And Jesus never promises that storms don't come our way. And he never promises that we don't deal with difficult things and that there aren't heavy things that come our way. But he gives us an invitation that when it happens, come to me. Bring it to me. Don't walk through life doing your own thing and carrying this thing and trying to do better. Come to me and I'll give you rest and I'll restore your soul. I want to promise. What a savior. What an opportunity. You know, this service, um, we have to be a little more careful on time because of the next service coming in. And so Donnie and Camille are going to close with this, with this worship song right here. Um, I was just going to dismiss you um, and have you go, but I feel like while I'm standing here that the Holy Spirit is like, let me have a moment in space and time. So I'm just going to have them sing this song, maybe in time of the chorus, and then uh, done, you'll dismiss them, okay? So just... Um, Maybe just hear this and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But if you are troubled in your mind and you're not in your right mind, and especially if you feel like your value is so low and your worth is diminished, and maybe you question whether or not living is even And that's not God. And that's not what God has for you. And Jesus wants to 
give you rest and restore your soul and put your mind right. So, Father, we just open our hearts. Father, give peace and bring life. Set at liberty the captive and do exactly what you said you would do. We come to you this morning. We come to you.
Yes, Jesus, we just thank you that you hold us, that you hold every moment, that you come in in the disappointment, you come in in the fear, you come in in the anxiety, and you make yourself near, you make yourself close, you make yourself present. So Jesus, I just ask you right now that every single person that's dealing with anxiety, depression, grief, stress, burden of any kind would just find themselves held, find that their yoke is easy and their burden is light. Because you took every fear, you took our sadness to the cross. We love you and we thank you. Amen. We're going to soft dismiss. We're going to just continue to worship if you feel like you want to take more time. But we love you so much. Have a great day.